Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Along with our very own EIG attorney, Hiba Amber, today we are honored to have our first guest on the podcast, David Beer. David serves as an immigration policy expert at the Cato Institute with a focus in visa reform, border security, and interior enforcement. In a recent announcement, the White House has proposed key changes to the public charge policy that is designed to reduce the amount of immigrants eligible for green cards. In essence, Immigrants may be denied citizenship based upon the amount of government assistance they receive. Hiba and David break down this controversial proposal and discuss the new ways in how immigrants may be evaluated when applying for citizenship. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. Let me start off by asking you, can you provide us with some pertinent background on this whole public charge issue in terms of, you know, the definition and where this stems from and how it's being applied today? Sure. So the idea of a public charge really originated in the 19th century and uh, it migrated into immigration law, but had always existed as part of the um, U.S. legal system in some sense of a public charge being the equivalent of a ward of the state, someone who the government has the responsibility to care for. Um, and, you know, the reason why uh, it was, you know, a public charge is different from, let's say, just someone who's poor is that the government uh, felt it had the responsibility to uh, support people who are in um, certain dire straits. And so um, that's really the historical understanding of it. In the 19th century, public charges were mainly maintained by the government through what were known as almshouses. And these were places, um, truly horrific um, um, places that you did not want to live, where you were forced to work uh, very often in order to um, live in those accommodations, but you are really living on government property, um, on government, uh, with government resources, um, almost, you know, your entire existence was dependent uh, upon the government. And so that was really uh, the origin of it. Um, and in the late 19th century, in 1891 specifically, the U.S. government, Congress, uh, included a provision that allowed immigration officers to exclude people, that is, keep out immigrants, uh, who were deemed by them to be likely, uh, likely to be a public charge. And so, um, you know, there were various ways to avoid that determination. You could show that you um, had a certain amount of, of, of cash with you, or that you had a sponsor in the United States, a U.S. citizen who had some resources who could take care of you if you became unable to care for yourself. And so that's really the origin of, of public charge and, and how it ended up in uh, the immigration system. So the idea here is, uh, in a nutshell, if the United States is going to open its doors or open its borders, so to speak, then they want people who are not going to further burden an already overextended system. Would you uh, agree with that statement? Yes, yes, that is exactly the idea. We wanted uh, people who are going to come and, and support themselves rather than be supported by Americans and, and by the government. 
So I'm, I'm an immigration attorney, and the way that this plays out in terms of my day-to-day is in the event that I'm getting ready to, to file a family-based adjustment of status application, then one of the required forms that gets submitted along with the overall green card application is an affidavit of support in which you have to be able to demonstrate that the applicant and uh, you know his or her sponsor meet certain minimum income thresholds. So that's basically been the case throughout the course of my career, whereas with this proposed rule, it's being described as some by seeking to implement dramatic changes and has been the subject of or the topic of a lot of conversation. So how is this so different from what the current regulations state at the present time? Right. So the the current guidance um, from the Department of Homeland Security, which is largely also followed by the State Department for visa applications overseas, is that you're not going to be deemed a public charge unless uh, you are primarily dependent on the government um, for essentially 51% of your cash income is coming from public sources. So that's what it means when it's primarily dependent. So, you know, you're getting cash from the government and and that is the majority of your income and therefore you are a public charge because you're primarily depending on on, uh, public sources for your income. Now, within that, you're excluding various non-cash programs as, you know, know, the government's not counting them against the immigrant as part of this projection of of how much income they're going to get from the government versus other, you know, other sources. And so this regulation would, would consider all manner of public benefits, uh, housing um, support, uh, you know, food stamps, Medicaid, all of those would be included now in the calculation of whether or not you are a public charge. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is they're no longer going to look at how much benefits you get as a share of your income. Now they're going to just look at a flat rate. Um, so for a single person, it would be $5 per day over the course of a year would trigger this public charge uh, determination. And so this would include, you know, uh, food stamps and, and cash assistance and um, any other benefits, whether federal or state, uh, to the individual would be considered as triggering this this uh, public charge determination. There's a little bit more of a complex process for determining uh, whether Medicaid counts towards this this threshold of five dollars per day or or fifteen percent of the the poverty line is is the threshold, which amounts to five dollars per day for a single person. And so, uh, you know, this is a pretty radical transformation in the definition of what it means to be a public charge because $5 per day could amount to 5% or 10% of a person's income and they would still be considered a public charge. And so this is, you know, a pretty big rewrite in terms of how we describe people who are our public charges. No longer are we talking about people who are, you know, in, you know, being cared by the, for by the government uh, year round like we were in the 19th century or even, you know, getting 51% of their 
cash income from the government like we are right now. Now we're talking about people who are receiving, you know, even a, a nominal amount of their income from government sources will be considered uh, public charges. So if somebody is receiving, say, some sort of a benefit that amounts to the equivalent of 10% of their total income, then the flip side of that is, well, they're also 90% self-sufficient. So if somebody is receiving just like a flat rate benefit and it only amounts to, say, 10% of their total income, then is this one of the heavily weighted factors that the rule takes into consideration when making a determination? Or is that separate? Is that only reserved for people who are likely to become a public charge? Well, the important thing to understand about the public charge determination is it's all forward-looking. So you're, the government adjudicator is making a prediction about what is likely to happen in the future. And so it really doesn't matter whether you've used benefits in the past or not, though that is one of the heavily weighted factors that they talk about that they're going to consider um, as you know a heavily weighted negative factor against your application if you have used, particularly recently, benefits that are above the, the threshold amount of that 15% of the poverty line or, or $5 per day. And so, yes, that's, that's exactly, um, you know, how it works. It's going to uh, hold that against them. Now, I would emphasize that there are not very many immigrants who are applying for uh, adjustment of status or, or permanent residency or immigrant visas overseas who will be using benefits above that that threshold and that's because most of the people who are um, adjusting status are either here without status or are here um, in non-immigrant status and neither one of those entitles you to most of the the means tested programs at the federal level now some of these individuals might be using some benefits at the local or state level um, and the rule would take that into consideration. But for the most part, most of the people will not have used them in the past. So really, it's, again, this, this projection looking forward of, okay, with looking at all of your other characteristics, will you end up using benefits or are you likely to end up using benefits uh, going forward? So what are some of those other characteristics? I know that one of the provisions that has been somewhat controversial has been this English language reference uh, in the uh, draft of the rules. So first of all, what does your ability to speak English or the level to which you can speak the language have anything to do with whether or not you could potentially become a public charge? Right. So, I mean, all of these factors that they're going to look at, um, you know, they're going to, you know, ding applicants for being too old or too young or for having too large of a family or for uh, having too little education or, like you said, poor English skills. Um, and all of these things really ultimately are about can you support yourself? You know, if you have poor English skills, you're less likely to be able to have a high enough income to support yourself without government support. And so, for, you know, people who are non-English speakers or don't speak English uh, at all are more likely to use public benefits than ones who uh, speak English well. 
that's kind of w how they expect this projection to work is they're going to look at all these different factors and say, okay, if you're past retirement age or you're unemployed or, you know, you have an income below the poverty line, um, we're going to start digging you. And, you know, if you have too many of these X's next to your name, then we're going to deny uh, your application. Now, what's interesting about these factors is you have to think about, okay, so what does it mean when the government says you are likely or these people who are denying are likely to become a public charge? Right. And what that means effectively is they're saying there's a high probability above 50% maybe 75% probability that these people will end up being public charges if they were allowed to come to the United States. That means that 25%, that 25% is the wrongfully denied rate. We're, we're basically saying we're, we're, we're willing to accept that 25% of these people who are being rejected would not have become public charges, but we're willing to deal with that so long as we can get the other 75% excluded. Now, none of this is spelled out in the regulation, and so they're not telling us how likely it actually has to be that you're going to end up on benefits. Is it a 50% probability, a 60 70% probability? Reading over the rule, it certainly seems like they're saying, that likely means anything above average is is likely. And that's really disturbing because when you talk about these non-English speakers who are more likely than average to use benefits, still almost 70% of them aren't using any welfare at all, uh, according to the government's own uh, data that the, that's included in the regulation. And so it's decidedly improbable <laughs> that any one of them is likely to end up on benefits, but it all depends on how they define this key term, likely, and every adjudicator is going to have the opportunity to define that word however they want uh, because it's not defined uh, in the regulation. And so um, that's a real problem with the rule because it's going to create a massive amount of uncertainty about whether or not you're going to be approved and whether you're eligible for adjustment of status or an immigrant visa. So you talk about that uncertainty and you also described a fairly large and significant margin for error in the implementation of this particular rule. What's the end game here? What's the compelling interest? Who is the government trying to protect by going to such lengths to redefine the public charge analysis? What they're trying to do is protect the taxpayer. You know, at least that's the stated purpose of the regulation is to protect taxpayers from having to support immigrants uh, who are coming to the United States and they, and they can't support themselves. And that would comport with the intent of the law. Um, I, I do think that the way that it is written, um, it is not at all clear that uh, that goal is going to be accomplished um, because of the fact that you are denying people who may be overwhelmingly supporting themselves, um, you know, that uh, government benefits make up a very low percentage of their income. And so if you're denying people based on this projection that maybe they're going to use 5 or 10 percent 
of their income coming from the government, then you're really denying a lot of people who are going to be economic contributors to the country. And so I do think that uh, the stated goal here is is not likely to um, come to fruition and that this is uh, in effect, a an effort just to reduce legal immigration, regardless of whether the person is is really someone who's abusing our welfare state. So, uh, similarly, I actually one of the parts about this that I found particularly problematic was this whole pulling of credit scores and credit reports. Um, I maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that an individual could be. Pre- predominantly self-sufficient and a contributing member of society and maybe not necessarily have the best credit. I don't know if you agree with that statement, but what was your take on this whole inclusion of the pulling of credit reports? Because I think that that was really kind of out of left field for a lot of practitioners who are reviewing the text of the proposed rule. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's again, we really don't know how these factors, what is going to matter at the end of the day in terms of being able to um, um, overcome essentially uh, a presumption that you're not eligible. And so really every applicant for an immigrant visa or adjustment of status has to really overcome this presumption that they're not eligible and then prove their eligibility to the government. And so one of those things that the government says it will consider is your credit history. And if you're um, someone who has, uh, you know, is essentially their credit score is too low, um, they're going to consider them a risk in terms of uh, their ability to support themselves. You really point to something that's, that's important to consider in all of this is we're going to have to really change how all of these applications are happening. Uh, you know, there's going to be a, just a tremendous amount of of effort and evidence needing to go to the government and be considered. And if you look at how long it takes to process uh, adjustment of status application right now, I mean, it's almost a year on average and sometimes longer. And, you know, now we're throwing another massive pile of paperwork at the government and it's not clear what the benefit on the other side is, um, you know, it certainly looks like this is just another way to make it more costly and more time consuming for illegal immigrants to come to the United States. So then what would you what would you suggest would be an alternative approach uh, as opposed to the current proposed rule? Like what's a better alternative to achieve a similar goal without necessarily creating this degree of uncertainty? Well, two things, right? So you could have an absolute certainty about whether you're qualified under this current rule. And and the way you would accomplish that certainty is by, number one, defining what you mean by likely. So how likely is it based on your characteristics for you to use more than the threshold amount of welfare? The government has the data to be able to make actually a very precise calculation on who is likely to use benefits above a a given threshold. They show some of their data even in the regulation, but they could create an opportunity where you enter your information, your income and your your, uh, education level and, and your English language ability, and it could run the numbers using census and administrative data 
and give you your exact probability based on your characteristics of using above the prohibited level of benefits. And so there's no reason why the government can't do that or, or won't do that. Um, it would just require you know, defining that probability and then creating some kind of, of uh, electronic portal or whatever. It, at the very minimum, it could define how much each factor is being weighted in favor or against uh, precisely with actual numbers so that applicants know in advance, I'm going to be approved, I'm eligible or I'm not. This is what they do in Canada with the points-based system uh, that, the, that the president continuously want, uh, is advocating for. Um, that points-based system does precisely give you um, an idea of whether you're eligible um, under that uh, particular Canadian program or not. And so uh, if that's the direction the government wants to go and you know, use this rule to create a de facto points-based immigration system, at least do it precisely so that everyone knows who's eligible and who's not. Don't make it random chance or uh, administrative discretion on who gets to immigrate to the United States or not. So um, I'm not supportive of the regulation, but uh, I do think that, that doing those two things would at least make it administratively possible uh, to, you know, to administer it in a way that's fair and, and um, removes the uncertainty around who is eligible or not. And I would say if they did define likely in the sense of a 75% probability of becoming a public charge, very few immigrants would meet that criteria based on the government's own data. And so very few immigrants would ultimately be denied uh, eligibility based on you know, the actual data that's out there. So um, I think that that would be a significant improvement over uh, where this rule is right now. Well, David, thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you. I know that you're definitely very well versed in this particular topic, so uh, I really, really appreciate a chance to connect with you on this. No problem. Thanks for having me on. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at eig underscore law and our Instagram underscore eiglaw to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.